What motivates politicians today to get the position they do, to make their moves they do, both publicly and privately? Is it a will to do good, to represent people and instigate social change for the better, to help people? Let's ask Suetonius, a Roman private secretary to the emperors in 1st AD. I'm Sophie Edmonds. And I'm Patrick DeButlow. So today what we want to discuss is history, and especially history as it pertains to power. Now, probably for a lot of people, the greatest historian about power there's ever been, and also the most fun, because he's such a gossip, is Suetonius. Now, Suetonius was born around 69 AD, we're not sure of the birth date, but in his writings he says that he's 20 years, um, come, he's a young man 20 years after Nero's death. So that's around the best date that we can place it at. And he comes from a relatively modest family in North Africa. Um, but he's very studious, very rigorous, and through sheer force of will, he comes to Rome. And he manages to befriend Pliny the Younger, who's one of the great letter writers, uh, whose father, uh, the El Pliny the Elder, very famously died at Pompeii while wading out um, into the sea to test... Uh, the temperature of the ocean and then was molten by lava. So you come into all these great Roman stories. And Suetonius is so impressive um, in his academic studies that he manages to become the private secretary to two of the very most famous emperors uh, of their time, Trajan and Hadrian. Now, the reason Suetonius is so interesting to us is that he really became very popular again in the 20th century. And so lots of writers, uh, including Jonathan Lardley, who's a great classicist who writes for the Washington Post, Gore Vidal wrote a very famous essay on him. They all said, you know, this is probably the most fun historian you're ever likely to read, just because he tells you all the stories about the Roman emperors, but all the gossip and all the fun details. But you get also this tremendous study of power and why people really go after power. Because he really looked at the motivation of the emperors he for did. what they did, doesn't, didn't he? He did, he did. And he was so close to power. And he also has a very fun life himself um, because he's not really sort of an ivory tower, boring academic. He actually gets exiled by the Emperor Hadrian. And we don't know what becomes of him afterwards, whether he is executed, whether he died in exile, uh, because he has an affair with Empress Sabina the Empress Hadrian's wife. Um, and there's a very funny story about it because apparently Hadrian is much more interested in boys. So Sabina gets very, very bored. Who does she go to? She goes to the local secretary. Uh, well, not quite local, but the closest secretary she has to hand. And we're very lucky because most of Suetonius's work haven't survived. And a lot of people remark when they look at catalogues, medieval catalogues of his books, they're all these incredible books that he must have written. So some of them are called The Physical Defects of Mankind. What, what was that about? Uh, what was that about? That no sounds very knows. interesting. No one knows. Uh, he also wrote famous lives of Roman prostitutes, uh, which we don't have, but which would probably have been quite a fascinating read. Uh, but we do have his great masterpiece, which is Twelve Caesars. Now, the Twelve Caesars was written from the beginning of Caesar's time till the last emperor that he covers, who's Domitian. And in it, you have all these portraits, some rather long, some a bit shorter, of Caesar and then the first emperors of Rome to follow him. And it's always fascinated people afterwards because you have such a vision of decadence and vice. 
in Rome. And a lot of the stories that we know about Caligula, about Nero, um, even about Augustus, about Domitian, about Tiberius, they all come from Suetonius. So he's focusing on the politicians at the time and the figures in power at he the is. time. And what he's particularly concerned with, and which becomes very apparent, and which is fascinating to us when we look at him from today's point of view, is he believes that the Roman Republic was a very moral time, full of virtue and great political figures who wanted to do good uh, for the sake of the Roman Republic. And he sees the period of empire as one of unbridled lust for power, lust for politics, for sex, uh, for murder. And, and he sees it as you know being this really decadent period following the great virtuous period of Rome. And this is something that we deal with all the time in newspapers. So, you know, you'll see an article about Donald Trump saying, how could a man like this be president of the United States? Well, for Suetonius, the answer to him is quite clear. He thinks that society has become more decadent. And you always get political figures who, out of their own self-interest, will behave like this. And the more power they have access to, the more corrupt they become. And Trump would be nothing in Roman times. Uh, but compared to the stories which we'll go into that Suestonius describes, I mean, Donald Trump is, you know, a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a fascinating. So let's start with some of the portraits that Suetonius gives of the emperors. So they're fascinating because he describes them always very clearly physically, but they're always quite humorous portraits. So, for example, he says that Caesar was considered to be very good looking as a younger man. But then when he becomes bald, he becomes so incredibly vain about it. He has these very elaborate comb overs. So talking about famous <laughs> politicians and their hair. Uh, here we've got a prime example. And Augustus, for example, he tells us was rather short and was quite full of uh, quite remarkable birthmarks, but that he loved to go and shave his legs using hot walnut shells. And he was very, very vain about getting oh. all the hair off his legs. Is that a d- dilapidatory technique? We it's should a be dilapidatory technique, which, you know, uh, I don't know how well it compares to modern techniques, but it's certainly an interesting one for Roman times. And that Caesar would pluck every single hair from his body. Um, so you'd have all these portraits and, and he goes into Caligula and all these great stories uh, about how, you know, young Caligula was, you know, this remarkably attractive young boy who everybody sort of fell in love. And then you see later on the monster that he becomes in Suetonius's portrait. Um, now, when we're doing a, a study of, of power and how it was used in Rome, this is where Suetonius becomes really interesting because he says power rendered them mad, but that they were also quite self-aware about it. So there's a very famous example with the Emperor Tiberius, who's given by the Senate of Rome, which at this period in history doesn't actually do that much. It's more of an official body to give um, rich Romans a place to meet and and to discuss things, but they don't have much actual power. But they do try and flatter Tiberius, and they pass a law saying that whatever Tiberius does in his reign, he'll never be punished for. And Tiberius writes them a letter almost immediately saying, but you have no idea what sort of person I might become. Right now, I'm a fantastic emperor. I'm working so hard. I'm passing all these fantastic laws. Rome is doing incredibly well. But who's to say that in 10, 15, 20 years, I won't become a murderous despot? And you'll have granted me complete immunity. And So he, he was aware that power corrupts. And Tiberius was completely aware. And the fascinating thing is it's exactly what happens. Tiberius does become completely mad and degenerate. But he's very self-aware. And it's one thing that Suetonius says to us when we look at portraits of politicians is 
to always bear in mind that there are two sides to it. Yes, their actions can be absolutely brutal and murderous, but that these people are working incredibly hard. Uh, a Caesar at the time of Rome and, and an imperial, an emperor, would have had to work all the time from the moment he woke up till the moment he went to sleep. He had to manage the command of the armies. He had to oversee all the law courts for judicial matters, whether big or small. He had enormous amounts of correspondence, which he had to take care of throughout the empire, appointments, all the rest. All of this was so set up. So he was up really stressed. Incredibly stressed. And this is what Suetonius says, is that they have such stressful lives. And also, they're constantly under the threat of death. Eight or nine of the emperors, the ninth we're not sure, were, were assassinated. So out of the first 12 Caesars, it's the vast majority of them. So they're constantly in fear of being stabbed to death or being killed by whichever manner. So they've got this enormous pressure. And one of the outlets they have is this combination of being able to do whatever they want, to being seen as gods in Rome. And so they really do behave any way they want. In a decadent manner. In an incredibly decadent manner. So they live, they work hard, play hard. They do, but they play harder than, you know, I think almost anybody would ever imagine. Even in today's societies, you hear terrible stories about politicians behaving very badly, but they really seem quite innocent in a way compared to the way that Roman Caesars were. So Nero, for example. So, But tell us about Tiberius, what happened to him at the end. Well, Tiberius, Tiberius is fascinating because Tiberius becomes very degenerate. So he buys Capri. And he turns it into an imperial residence. Well, actually, sorry, Augustus buys Capri. But it's Tiberius who turns it really into the, the centre uh, of his playground. And he basically has these grottos. And he becomes a pedophile. And he has what he calls little fish. And it really just becomes this constant period of time where Tiberius is either murdering people, throwing them off the rocks of Capri, or... He's seducing little children and bringing them to his island, and this is pretty much all he does towards the end of his reign. And so much. And was he granted ultimate power? Well, he, he, he as a Caesar, he already had ultimate power. So the Senate, in that case, was only trying to flatter him. The power was already his. Mm. Um, but he he did behave very well with it at first, and he passed fantastic reforms and continued Augustus's work um, in the maintenance of the empire. Okay, but. Towards the end, Towards due, the end. due to probably a combination of stress and hard work and and then the hedonist environment that he, he was able well, to absolutely. access. Well, absolutely. He became he uh, a complete degenerate, but which is a theme that fascinated the ancients because even from the Greeks to the Romans, they always thought that luxury was the ultimate corruption of man. That, And this is particularly important for Stoic philosophy, but... For thoughts in general, and for philosophers from Greece and Rome, it was always thought that the more a man had access to wealth, uh, they saw it as being an oriental trait, they saw it as being a barbarian trait in their own words, that it would corrupt them completely. And so this is what Suetonius is talking about, and which the Greeks would talk about constantly, and which was picked up by Roman writers and philosophers, which is that the more access to, you have to luxury, to great food, to great parties, and all the rest, the more corrupt your personality will become. So... They say, basically, that there was this period in Rome, particularly in the Republic, where men didn't have access to all of these privileges, where they had to really fight hard for everything. They had to go through a political course. They had to train as lawyers. And that they behaved much better for it. 
Well, this is also interesting in relation, well, again, referring to Trump. Well, we see it with politicians all the time now because, uh, for example, in Trump's administration recently, there have been tremendous scandals about people using private jets for hundreds of thousands of dollars in trips and that, you know, the whole system has become corrupt and they're not behaving as they should be. And when politicians, of course, in contemporary society, there is a different approach to it and um, it's not necessarily celebrated that politicians are from backgrounds of great wealth, depending on which country you're from, of course, mm-hmm. Berlusconi being a good example. In Berlusconi's Bunga Bunga parties are a, are a great example of, of what the Romans are complaining about. So, for example, when Caligula becomes emperor, he sets up a brothel uh, in the imperial palace and he decides it's a great money-making scheme. So, But he goes one step further. He employs all the noble women of Rome and the wives of the senators to be prostitutes. And they have to give themselves to any client uh, from the empire who wants to come through. And their husbands allowed that? The husbands don't have a choice because uh, he keeps a personal decapitator on hand. And uh, Caligula is particularly perverse. He likes to make people die very slowly. So he calls it death by a thousand cuts. So he would stab them very small little incisions so that they would bleed to death very slowly next to him. And this is a, this is a trait of perversity which becomes very very strong in the um, in which the he's emperors. well he's he's famous for obviously Caligula. yes but C- Caligula has and as Suetonius has has the same path as almost all of them which is generally early on in the reign they're actually considered to be quite moral and very good emperors Caligula when he's a young man manages the affairs of the state very well. Um, and he's really actually incredibly popular, but he becomes more and more mad. Uh, Suetonius says a lot of this is this tremendous fear of death that they have, that they're going to be killed at any moment so that someone else can get this absolute power. Uh, Caligula is a particularly famous example from making his horse consul to sleeping with his sisters to then becoming quite mad when one of them dies. Um, And then his behavior just becomes appalling. I mean, you know, he goes to a dinner party and he'll take uh, the wife of the senator who he's sitting next to, go and have sex with her and then come back and describe what it was like and her, rate her performance and then ask the husband to rate the performance of Caligula and the wife. Oh, that's nice. And, you know, they can't do anything about it because they know that Caligula will have them killed in an instant. So no one is safe. And this power just corrupts again and again and again in the empire. The emperor Domitian, who's seen as a very intelligent, very capable man, he gets to the point where he terrifies his victims and then he reassures them saying that they'll stay alive, that he won't hurt them. And the moment they believe that he won't hurt them, boom, he'll slash their throat or decapitate them. And this is where he gets his pleasure from. So it's very interesting. So in essays which have been written about Suetonius, including the very famous one, which started with a lot of work, which still goes on by Gorbidal, um, which is really worthwhile reading. It's an essay which he wrote in the late 50s, but which was published in the 60s, and to this day is still quoted a lot in studies of the empire. He says that it's not that their vices are different from ours today. He says everybody has sexual appetites and sexual tastes, which can be seen more or less as normal or perverse, depending on who's doing the judgment. But he says that because they have access to complete power, they're just allowed to go much, much further in their perversions. Which they do. Mm. So um, it's the pe- so in Gorvidal's argument, people have this capability for perversity and violence and all of those other traits you've described generally. But it's just that they're not able to because they're not allowed. Yes, Society exactly. keeps them. 
Exactly. He says that the bonds of society tie restrains them. And he says it goes for men and women because uh, Suetonius talks about women, for example, like Messalina, um, Claudius's wife. Claudius, uh, the Emperor Claudius being particularly unlucky uh, in love. Um, but Messalina would hold competitions uh, against prostitutes uh, to see who could be the, the sleep with the most men in Rome in one evening. So even the, the, the noble Roman women, and especially the wives of the emperor, could behave incredibly bad. They could be murderesses like Agrippina. They would sleep with their sons like Nero and his mother. So you have all of these stories. So it doesn't just affect men. It also affects women. And yes, and how does that affect women in contemporary politics, say, Hillary Clinton? Well, it's interesting in, in, for two reasons. A, is because we're talking about the ancient world, they do write about sex very openly. There's, there's, there's less of this um, impression that, you know, which comes through with Christianity and monotheistic religions, which it's that only men desire sex and that it should only be done for reproduction. The, the ancients, and especially the Romans, talk about it incredibly openly. For them, it's a natural desire. But they're also incredibly critical of this behavior because they say it's taken to such an unnatural and unhealthy extent that these people are behaving so badly. Um, you know, you even have uh, stories about senators who are forced to sleep with Caligula and who say that they're t completely exhausted and they can't do their senatorial duties because Caligula is exhausting them. So you've got these men uh, you know, who can't go, go into to work the next day because they're so tired from the emperor. Yeah, that would be a sexual harassment case now, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. I think definitely it would come under the label sexual harassment. Mm. Uh, I don't think Caligula would have much luck uh, in today's world. But, but what happens with power and women? Well, it's a fascinating because for them, so say if you take the example of Hillary Clinton or someone, what Suetonius says, um, and what's very interesting to compare to politicians today, is that a Hillary Clinton would say she would be doing becoming president for women, or she's got into politics to help people to do this. What Suetonius says, he says it's never the case. He says that's the reason they might say to themselves. But he says that people who go into politics go in it for one reason, which is ultimately power. It doesn't matter whether they're men or women, that's what they want at the end of the day. And that the problem with power is the more you have access to it, the more it corrupts you. And so he, he has a very cynical view of people going into politics. He just thinks it's almost impossible for them to stay pure um, and to go. And he just simply doesn't believe that the real reason is ever anything but power. Yes. And so, so all of these media-managed phrases that politicians used constantly about doing good and helping people, mm -hmm. Suetonius would say that it's really power that motivates them. And perhaps the longer that they are in term, the longer that they have to yes. live out these powers. Well, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, the longer you have access to it, the less you give up. We, we see it all the time in various parts of the world, whether it's in Asia, in Africa, and South America, the longer that a person holds on to power, the more they want to cling on to it. And generally, the more brutal they become in holding on to it. Yes, Mugabe has... Been, been in power for a very long time now. And he, a very long time now, and, and his behavior has not calmed down as he's aged. Uh, quite the contrary, a lot of people would say. And we, we see it in dictators who behave this way. If you look at an Idi Amin, for example, in Uganda, Idi Amin was said to keep his wife's head in his refrigerator and also to wipe out the cabinet. This is all behavior that we see in Suetonius and his descriptions of Rome. We see violence taken to extremes. We see sex taken to extremes. And this is Suetonius's great warning, which is 
he's basically saying be very careful of people's motivations when they get into politics, but really when they pursue power. Because at the end of the day, they really all will probably be corrupted by it. There's there's no example in Suetonius. In the in ancient times, Augustus was often seen as the great moral uh, figure of Rome. He's he's the most important of the emperors because he solidified Caesar's work and he transformed um, the empire. He transformed Rome from a republic to an empire. It's really his work. And in that sense, he's an extraordinary figure. But Suetonius says to us, but Augustus's behavior was just as bad as all the others. Uh, Augustus liked very young girls, what would be the equivalent of uh, Nabokov's Lolita today. You know, he liked what Lolita, uh, what Nabokov called nymphettes. Uh, he raved on about young girls. He seduced them all the time. He slept with almost every single uh, wife of a senator in Rome. And there's this very funny moment where he's complaining to Mark Anthony, and he says to Mark Anthony, how could you sleep uh, with Cleopatra? It's, it's disgusting what you're doing. It's immoral. And Mark Anthony immediately writes back to him, but Augustus, come and complain to me when you've stopped sleeping with every little girl, every wife in Rome, every woman on the streets. And Suetonius, who is in charge of the imperial archives, has access to all these letters. So he's quoting verbatim from what he can read uh, in the first century AD about all these founding fathers of Rome and all these great legendary figures. And they're actually all sort of complaining to each other in very bitchy, very gossipy letters about who's sleeping with who and all the rest. So even a figure like Augustus is corrupted in his own way. And, you know, is, is well known. He's also quite prudish. You know, he banishes his daughter for having an affair. And, you know, while at, he at the same time. So you also still have this dual trajectory of men and women in Rome where they can be treated differently, which is something that we talk about all the time in our society today. Yes, absolutely. So have, have things changed? Does power corrupt with politicians today? Well, it's an interesting argument. So Gorvidal in the essay, for example, says that when he's writing... He's writing in Eisenhower's America, so post-Second World War at a time, and he says it's better to be ruled by boring mediocrities than it is to have very exciting uh, people like the the Caesars because they enslave you. Uh, You become their slave. You have no escape from their power. So he's saying you should be very wary of very exciting politicians who promise you a great deal because they're the most dangerous. And it's very funny because when he writes it, he says that someday a man will come along, in his particular case he just says a man, but it could just as easily be a woman, who will promise such great things and say that things are so easy and so clear and just trust me. And that figure will turn out to be, you know, a complete charlatan after power. And and I think a lot of people might recognize echoes of Trump in that, whether they like him or not, simply in the fact that he came along at a time and destroyed party politics, not being a politician himself and gained power. Yes, at a time when people wanted change and they were sick of establishment politicians, the the boring mediocrity, saying the same things, doing the same things. Exactly, and that's what Suetonius says. He says that people, especially in Rome, get very bored by political figures quite quickly. But the problem is that when they want someone really exciting, it can often have very bad consequences. And that goes for a lot of countries. I mean, in the Philippines at the moment, President Duterte has this incredible personality, but he's also on a campaign to wipe out drug dealers and he's doing impromptu killings as the president. And You're allowed to kill 
drug dealers. Well, yes, you're allowed to kill drug dealers if you think. But, you know, the other day, just before President Trump went to visit him, he said that as a 15-year-old, he'd personally stabbed to death a man and and killed him. And so you still have in modern times uh, politicians who can talk like this and, and who talk openly about their vices and all the rest. And and it's fascinating uh, because it seems completely unchanged from, from Suetonius's point of view on yes. where power leads. So power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, according to Suetonius. Exactly, exactly. And that's a phrase which is almost verbatim taken from Suetonius, that famous saying. Mm. And... Uh, so it's fascinating. So in a time of great sexual scandals, never forget that Nero used to dress up in animal skins and tie people up to posts and attack their private parts. Uh, so whatever we hear about today, I mean, it's the sheer scale of it that went on under Suetonius and his descriptions of it, uh, which are fantastic. Uh, but they should remind us that, you know, I think human nature doesn't change all that much. Hmm. Well, so ne- next time we go to the voting booth, maybe we go for the boring politicians. Exactly, exactly. Maybe well, that's we- what Suetonius would recommend, at least. Okay, well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast.